0: Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of Truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. welcome back to burden blessing podcast we're excited again pastor mayhew and i are going through the psalms in chronological order or to the best of our ability today we're looking at psalm 59 which is a fantastic psalm a lot of uh violence here again but again shows the power and the pleading for the lord's help nathaniel good to see you today would you like to get us started on psalm 59
1: Sure. Psalm 59 gives us a little bit of historical background. Not all the Psalms have this, but this one does give us a little bit of the context in which it was written in the opening verse. It tells us that this Psalm is a mitkam of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. So for those who are at home, if you want to open up your Bibles and read through first samuel chapter 19 you can get the historical context for this this is when saul sent men to david's house and they were gonna uh, kill him in the middle of the night and his wife protected him basically sent him out through a window and and put a put a dummy in the bed and then saul found out that it wasn't actually david and wasn't very happy with his daughter uh, michael as a result of that but uh, that's the context and this is at a period then when and just before this, you have the account of David coming before Saul, playing the harp before him, and Saul throwing the spear at him, trying to kill him and pin him to the wall. This gives us a little bit of an idea of what David was actually going through when he writes this psalm. So that's that's helpful in the day to day wrestling, too, of what he would have been going through.
0: You want to read through the whole psalm, you want to do it section by section, maybe the first.
1: Yeah, why don't we take the first five verses and that'll give us the the starting point and then we'll take it in maybe three sections. Uh, As you pointed out, there are the silas in here, which are sort of a musical interlude that breaks it up nicely. So the end of verse five, we have a break and then the end of verse 13, we have a break. So we'll take it as uh, it's introduced there with those silas, verses one through five. To the chief musician, Set to the tune, do not destroy, amid came of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression or for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves, though through no fault fault of my own. Awake to help me. And behold, you therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. Kind of a rough start (laughs) to this one. A lot of... um, just simply a prayer for defense deliver me defend me deliver me save me awake to help me awake to punish those who are against me so there's this beautiful prayer here but David was in he was in the midst of trouble and where did he turn he turned to the Lord
0: I think it's interesting too you read in verse five awake to punish all the nations and the first Two verses, it describes all the different enemies, those who rise up against me, the workers of iniquity, bloodthirsty men. And then verse three, again, the context for look, look out my window, they are waiting to kill me. And it's interesting that you you talk about the context here that David would flee and leave his wife there. They must have been confident that they were there for David, right? And not for Michael. So, yeah. um, One thing that I, Want to point out was the two different uses of the word in verse four and five, where the Lord is pleading for God to intercede for His Lord, where David is pleading for the Lord to intercede, and so you know in studying this we're seeing that there's two different uses of that word awake there, and it's helpful to understand that because in English we just have the word awake. In verse five they run and prepare, prepare themselves through no fault of mine, and he's praying to the Lord, O oh Lord, awake to help me. That word awake there is ur, which means to rouse oneself or awake. Uh, The image that comes to mind here, you'll understand why later on that this comes to mind when you think of animals and hyenas and dogs and jackals and lions. The idea that I've always had with the word awake when David or a psalmist is praying to the Lord is a lion. We know the lion of the tribe of Judah. David is familiar with this concept. So this idea of awake here in verse four is, Lord, arouse yourself to defend me. In other words, awaken my attack dog. <laughs> awaken and be there to deliver me from those who are trying to put me to death. And interestingly enough in that Hebrew word, that origin, it's a really primitive root word. It'd be like us using King James language today through the eye it's the idea of opening one's eyes lord i see what's going on here you see you deliver you intercede and be my helper you awake as my lion to defend me you know and i don't know if you want to contrast that with verse 5 with the awake there as well so that verse 4 awake to help me and behold look lord that behold idea really fits well there with that origin of that ur word in the hebrew there
1: it does I, I kind of wanted to key in on, you indicated it earlier, the, the two phrases that are related to that awake, not for my transgressions or for my sin, and then through no fault of mine. David is pointing out that while he's not perfect, he is being innocently attacked in this situation. So Saul had no reason. In fact, in the context of 1 Samuel, Jonathan, Saul's son, goes to his father in order to defend David. He says, you have no reason to do this. David hasn't done anything to deserve what you're doing. And it, it reminded me of 1 Peter chapter 4, when Peter talks to the believers in the New Testament who were suffering. And he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I I thought that passage tied in nicely with these opening verses of Psalm 59. And this reminder that as Christians, while we might, we try to live in a way that is God pleasing, we are not perfect but at least we try to do that and yet we are going to face evil in the in this world and a lot of that is because we're Christians just like David did he was innocent in the sense that he he wasn't there was no reason for Saul to kill him but because he was a Christian and because the Lord had chosen him he was facing this persecution so uh, david comes to the lord and he pleads for the lord's help knowing that he is He's in this in this state where he doesn't deserve to be punished, but we're going to go through the same same things in our own lives too, as a result of being followers of Jesus. And
0: I like to, as you transition that into that other verse five with the awake there, you have the idea of uh, he's praying that the Lord would show him signs of him awaking against his enemy again, rousing himself up like a lion, like sitting up to attack to you know, show that you're going to deliver me here lord be there and give me confidence and strength so yeah it's it's an emergency situation in these first five verses and david realizes that he's not deserving to be put to death for this but he's asking lord to intercede anyway should we go on to the next yeah two verses?
1: let's go to 6 to 13 this is the next section after the first sila. At evening, they return. They growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak, Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God rules and Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Some pretty graphic picture language here too. Describing these enemies in animalistic forms. Uh, Dogs growling, uh, belching swords out of their mouths and out of their lips. Uh, Any thoughts on this section, Neil? The wicked are never satisfied. Their bellies are never filled. And so I
0: like this. It's what's the opposite of personification, right? It'd be, like you said, animalistic of how they return because they weren't able to do what they wanted to do. They're bloodthirsty men. They wanted, they were following commands. They're following orders to kill David. And so if the Lord had allowed David to escape in the wee hours of the morning, they are returning again that next evening to lie and wait for him. Hard to even imagine living that kind of a life. But at the same point in time, as you see his relying on the Lord, it's some really comfort. Again, you think of the lion against the hyena and it's a one-on-one battle. The lion laughs at the hyena. You know, We looked up that Psalm 2, 4, which he who sits in heaven shall laugh. And so that's ultimately what david's asking the lord to do they're growling at me you roar you laugh at them and your power and your strength and i think it's really interesting i don't know if you want to comment on that too because i want to move into verse 9 maybe it's a different thought so well yeah. j- just uh,
1: just a follow up that one of the things that i love about this section all the way to the end is that david admits that god is able to do it god has the strength to step in and to protect him it c- kind of reminds me of the three men in the fiery furnace kneel. When they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, they knew what the right thing was to do. And they said, we will not bow down to your image. And they admit there, they say, our God is able to deliver us. He might not, but even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to your image. And there's this idea in here of David too, this admission that God is in control. He is my strength, my defense, my God of, of mercy, He's capable of doing it. Now, I'm asking that he does. I don't know for sure that he will, but I know that he's capable of doing it. And we go back to Jesus again. What did Jesus pray in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. You know what is best. And so he's putting his life in the hands of his God. And and not only his life, but interestingly, and maybe this is what you're going to go into next, But also the life of those who are his enemies. That's interesting too. Ultimately,
0: in 12 and 13, I don't know if we need to spend a ton of time on that because you did mention that. We've talked about that in our previous Psalm about how the wicked are using their mouth and how they're defying the Lord, just like Goliath defied the Lord's armies. They're taking in their pride, cursing, you know, all this. And you highlighted verse 13, consuming them in the Lord's wrath consume that they may not be an interesting phrase there. What I thought was kind of interesting was in verse 9, as he's asking the line, again, the line of the tribe of Judah would be pre-Messiah. So if you look at verse 9, he's speaking in verse 8 about the Jehovah, Lord God, our triune God that will laugh at them. And they'll hold all the nations. We said that in verse 5, all the nations that are against Israel. And we and I talked about earlier about how, Israel was a desired place to conquer because of it was the middle of everything. It was the trade routes. All things went through there. So all nations wanted to conquer and wipe out Israel. And yet in this phrase, we see David say, I will wait for you as you laugh at them. Oh, you, his strength. And I, I just think that's such a profound thing because I believe that, oh, you, his strength. David is speaking to his triune God. And he's speaking to Christ. He's speaking to the warrior, the one who stood with the sword drawn out before Joshua and they crossed the Jordan River, who said he was neither for or against, but he was the commander of the Lord's armies. David is calling upon the commander of the Lord's army. Oh, you, his strength, his right arm. God is my defense. And it's interesting, he transitions to verse 10. This is my God of mercy. And so you have this strength of the Lord personified Christ here pre-incarnate Christ being the
1: mercy that is going to deliver David in time of need. And then at the end of that verse, verse 10, there's this interesting thing too, where he says, God will let me see my desire. You know, sometimes we, we pray for things that we know we'll never see in our lifetime. Those are things that will come as, you know, down the road. And it's, it's a long-term investment, we might call it. But this is interesting that David says, he's going to, he's going to let me see the the judgment that comes on my enemies because of their, and it's not just their opposition to David. I think that's an important point when we get into these Psalms, Neil, that when we talk about these certain Psalms that bring out judgments against either the enemies of God or certain individuals, that we have to remember that what, the psalmist is praying for is not a, not so, so much a judgment in order to defend himself, but a defense of God himself and his plan of salvation and his word, kind of like Saul, Samuel, when Samuel and the people wanted a king and Samuel said, hey, that's a slap in the face. You know why they want to get rid of me. And the Lord says, hey, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. That's the problem. And these Psalms drive us back to the fact that it's not a human being that they are against. They are against God. And that's why this divine justice is being called for and is is due, because they are standing against God. And that takes you back to verse uh, 8 and Psalm 2 that you talked about earlier. Why do the nations rage? God sits in heavens and he laughs. He holds them in derision because they can't stand against him and his will. There's nothing that they can do against his will. You
0: know, as you end this portion of the psalm, you go into the last four verses there. It's interesting to see this God of mercy really, I think, continue to shine. and really brings in this gospel. We point to the strength of the Lord. Uh, the last few verses say it and at evening they return once again just like verse six they growl like a dog and go all around the city you know when, when the Hebrew poetry does this it's a reminder of the ongoing nature of it it wasn't like oh Saul sent his men one night and they return the next night this is an ongoing thing and they wander up and down for food and howl if they're not satisfied so they get angry if they're not completing their mission they're their assassination of David, the Lord's anointed. But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and a refuge in the day of my trouble. Oh, you, oh, my strength. There it is again, like we said in verse 9. I will sing praises for God is my defense, my God of mercy. So we spend a little bit of time talking about the contrast here about David praying, like in verse 11, in the previous section, we just talked about, he says, do not slay them lest my people forget. And now here in verse 14, he's talking about the mercy of the Lord. Can you, can you talk about that for a second?
1: Yeah, there is this interesting thing that I think this goes back again to not just taking it personally, but realizing that they're standing against God and that we can't judge the hearts. And so we leave these things up to the Lord, do not slay them. We don't, we don't want anybody to lose their life. And we talked a little bit about that inner turmoil that David might've been going through from a personal standpoint. We might want to see justice being served against an individual, but from a, from a redeemed child of God perspective who loves his neighbor in the same way that Christ loves my neighbor. We desire, give them, give, bring them to repentance, bring them to the truth so that they might join with us in the work. You think about Saul in the new Testament, the one who persecuted the church and what did the Lord do? He brought him to his side and he used him as, as an ambassador to the world, the early uh, Christian church. So there is this, we have to be careful that we don't make things personal. And there is a tendency in our own lives to make things personal when people rise up against us and oppose us. And to remember, they aren't they aren't doing this against me, they're doing this against the Lord. But but Lord, bring them to see the truth, bring them to understand the truth. And and then maybe they can join with us in singing of your power and singing of your mercy. In the morning, because you are the one who is my defense, my strength, my God of mercy. Beautiful words there in verses 16 and 17 that you say also remind us, tie into the the previous section, my strength, my mercy, my defense. Beautiful words for God. I think that this psalm is just one that needs so much time
0: to reflect on because there's so many, not only the historical context of what David was going through when he prayed this, but when you think about our days of persecution as well, How can we continue to trust in the Lord? And like you brought up so well with the three men in the fiery furnace, what is our attitude going into any situation? The Lord can deliver me from this if it's his will, but he might not. Either way, he's with me, and he will continue to carry out his will according to his divine plan for salvation of souls, not just for our own, but for all. Because God desires all the world to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So I know it's neat to think about verse 14, 15 and 16, that growling and howling of the enemies of God and his people versus the singing and the praising of the Lord in the midst of that growling and howling. Again, it's just, it's an amazing contrast between the wickedness of the world and the righteousness and the confidence that the believer has in the lion of the tribe of Judah that we have in our Christ and our Savior, our strength. Yeah,
1: it reminds me of that passage from James that you quoted last time. Uh, our our lips, they can either be used for blessing or cursing. And James says, that's not the way it should be. Uh, it, they should be used for blessing. That's what they've been created for. And so we sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. That's how God has, has created, that's what he's created our tongues to do. And so we do that. We rejoice in the Lord who is our strength and our defense. Well,
0: verse 17 kind of closes us down. God is my defense. And I think of that wonderful Easter tune, Jesus Christ, my sure defense. And I am confident that David is thinking of the very same thing as he's singing this this wonderful tune of confidence in the Lord as well. Thank you for your time today, Nathaniel. And thank you all for listening. I hope that you are blessed by these studies and continue to rejoice in the opportunity to spend time in God's word, whether you're in your car, at home, or wherever you might be. May the Lord Jesus continue to strengthen your soul in those moments of fear and terror that he is with you. And he is awaking to do his will and accomplish his purpose within us. Amen. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, Take confidence in your Savior's promise that He will always be
1: with you, even to the end of the world.